0: This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one need professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG radio or cornerstone university ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG radio or cornerstone university. Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCSG and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen. Joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you?
1: Great, Zach. So good to be here again.
0: And also joining us this episode from West Michigan Wellness Group are Linda Salm and Caleb Jones. So I want to start with you, Linda. Linda is a licensed professional counselor with her master's from Western Michigan University. She has over 30 years of experience in education as a former teacher and school counselor. Her specialties include conflict resolution, parenting, and anxiety, which is why we're so glad she's joining us today as we continue our series on anxiety. Thanks so much for being here with us, Linda, today. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the type of clients that you see at West Michigan Wellness Group and why this is kind of your passion group?
2: Oh, thank you. Um, So I have an office in both our Jenison and our Byron Center location. I see clients from six to 71 years of age. Um, I work a lot with individuals struggling with anxiety, um, which is a passion to help them. Um, I work with uh, lots of parents struggling the journey of parenting and uh, couples counseling and individuals going through divorce.
0: Perfect. We are so glad that we're going to have your expertise today as we continue this conversation. Uh, Also with us today, Caleb Jones. Caleb is a graduate intern completing his counseling degree at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, which like WCSG, by the way, a part of Cornerstone University. Before pursuing counseling as a career, Caleb worked as a case manager and a youth pastor. Among his specialties are both anxiety and depression, specifically in adolescents and young adults. Thanks so much for joining us, Caleb.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Zach. I'm very honored and incredibly excited to be able to join the podcast. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a graduate intern, so my journey to becoming a professional counselor is just beginning. So sitting next to, to Kevin and Lyndon talking about some of these topics feels a little intimidating for me, but I hope that by sharing some of my own personal mental health story, along with how God's radical grace has shown up in my life, I hope that the listeners will gain some education and encouragement. So... Just as you have shared, Zach, I have also had um, a personal struggle with anxiety, um, general to panic attacks. Um, Some major depressive episodes in there, too, and addiction to alcohol. So my mental health journey started at a rehab facility in Florida, and I experienced the incredible benefits that therapy, both individually and as groups, what that has to offer. And so what has been really cool with my mental health journey is that God has continued to make his grace and his love known to me in incredibly personal ways even when I was going through rough waters, even when I was experiencing anxiety, depression, addiction issues. And so... It's because of this personal journey that I have a deep passion, specifically with middle school age kids, adolescents, to walk with them through those rough waters, to understand how they can learn more about themselves, how they can cope with this anxiety. And I really love creating a space where they feel comfortable talking about some of those struggles. So thank you for having me.
0: Great, thanks for sharing that little part of your story. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Today, we are uh, continuing our series on anxiety and uh, we're gonna be focusing On anxiety in childhood. There is a lot to unpack. So, we're going to be spreading this conversation out over two episodes. And uh, by the way, if you're listening right now and you don't have young children in your life, maybe you don't have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, please don't tune out. Some of what we're going to be talking about today could reveal some parts of your story that maybe you've not ever realized or processed. I do want to say before we get into the meat of it, too, Linda and Caleb, along with Kevin, part of West Michigan Wellness Group, we will hear more about them and how you can get in touch with them to start your therapy journey a little bit later on in the podcast Uh, as always we want to start with some scripture so I've pulled out uh, two pieces of scripture here the first Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 don't worry about anything instead pray about everything tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And uh, related to that, Psalm 34, verse 4: I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. So as we begin to talk uh, specifically about younger kids in this episode, what an incredible opportunity we have as parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, children's leaders at church to teach them to channel the things that make them worry or feel anxious into prayer.
2: So yeah, we're talking about young kids and we're modeling for them and teaching them. And so when we pray and they're listening to our prayers, they're learning how to pray. Um, they're learning what to pray for. We're teaching them the times of day that we, we pray. Um, and we also can teach them that a lot of times we feel alone, but we're never alone. And God's always there and we can always pray to him and feel that sense of peace.
1: You know, Zach, I have to say with the Philippians passage, especially, I go back to episode one and our myth busting, right? And it's another thing that unfortunately we can do some weird things with this passage in the name of religion, where we really miss the point and can't even unintentionally harm people. Um, so as a group, we were just talking about this, right? The verse does not say, um, if you're anxious, it's because you're not praying, right? Or or if you pray, you'll never experience anxiety, right? This is not intended, I think, by God. Um, to be a criticism, it's intended to be an invitation. He's giving us an out. Just like the the uh, Isaiah passage that we named the whole podcast after, he's saying, I'm with you, I'm here, I'm present, I'm your God, it's a personal thing. And when you are worrying, please do come to me. Like Linda said, that it's that connection that we have this metaphysical um, connection, right? We, we can transcend the reality of our physical space and, and all the fear and anxiety that's in it when we're re- reminded that we're not alone and that we can connect with him. And so, again, I just hope people hear this through that lens, that this is an invitation, not a criticism.
0: Yeah. And specifically, because we're talking about young kids in this episode, what an opportunity to model for them that God is with you and that he, you can talk to him anytime. You don't have to do anything special. You don't need to be in church to talk to God. Like how would you kind of connect these verses to those younger kids?
1: Well, I, th- I think like Linda said, Zach, uh, we're modeling, we're modeling this behavior. We're not telling them that it's bad that they're experiencing anxiety. This is something I think we'll talk a little more about, um, or that the anxiety in and of itself is, is wrong, but that while they're experiencing it, they have options, right? And, and so I, I like how Linda said that it's, it just gives us a chance to create these spiritual disciplines um, uh, and they should and can start at a very young age.
0: So one of the reasons we wanted to start our very first season of Through Rough Waters talking about anxiety is because it seems to be an epidemic and anxiety and loneliness kind of go hand in hand and more and more of our kids are feeling that anxiety, that loneliness earlier and earlier. Maybe it's because of something that's happening at school. Maybe it's because of some family dynamics at home or maybe it's just part of their genes and what they're kind of predisposed to. Uh, The staff from the CDC, 15% of children between 5 and 17 receive treatment from mental health concerns in 2021 and that's one in 10 elementary age kids so let's start off with uh, kind of getting down to the basics here what does anxiety look like in school age children
2: Anxiety manifests itself in many different ways, Um, and for this series, we're going to talk about five through ten-year-olds. So the most common ways we see it is through school phobia, separation anxiety, social anxiety, restlessness, um, night tears, fatigue, um, acting out. Um, We see chronic headaches, stomach aches that can be related to anxiety. Um, Certainly, it's not limited to this, but these are some of the common ones we see.
0: Yeah, and one of the reasons I kind of preface this conversation with, um, if you don't have kids, pay attention to this. When I realized I was anxious, I was in college, but I could go back to being five or six years old. I was always one of the smarter kids in class and I hated school. And it's because I was anxious about it. And like, maybe that's part of your story as we go back and talk about this stuff, kind of take stock of your story and see which parts of this conversation might apply to you. So say you've got a child who's exhibiting one of those symptoms two, maybe all of them. What are some steps? that parents can take once they notice something might be a little off with my child.
2: Yeah, Zach, so you bring up a very good point. We teach kids about tornado drills and fire drills and what to do in the event that a real one occurs. Well, emotions are very similar to that. Um, We need to teach kids what to do in the event that they have big emotions. And big emotions can be anxiety as well as other emotions. But in the last series, Kevin talked about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. We need to teach kids that we all have an amygdala. We all have a prefrontal cortex um, and that the amygdala is... um, the function is emotion and that all day, lan- all day long it's scanning for emotion and potential danger and it will find it and sometimes it finds bigger emotions and when it does um, our amygdala sometimes is referred to as a barking dog um, which basically means it's pretty restless um, and it tends to take over the prefrontal cortex well if we remember the prefrontal cortex is for learning thinking and rational thinking so if you're in a big emotion and someone tries to tell you to calm down that means nothing to you because you can't think or learn or rationally think Um, so we need to explain to kids so they understand what they're going through because one part of the anxiety is they don't know what's going on they're just feeling this big emotion so if we can educate them and help them to normalize it and understand we all have this Um, and on top of that there are skills and tools to deal with it just that conversation alone can help lower some of that anxiety
0: yeah so say someone's listening to this right now and they're realizing their child might be feeling these big feelings like what is a kind of analogy that you found that makes sense to speak to these five to ten year olds to try to explain to them What's going on in their brain when they have these big feelings?
2: Yeah, so again, talking about that barking dog, and that that barking dog, um, or a dog sits at our front door all day long scanning for potential danger. Um, and it will start barking at leaves, at people. Um, I use the Amazon driver as a good one. It barks at the Amazon driver um, because it thinks it's potential danger. But we all know Amazon drivers, for the most part, bring us joy. They bring us our packages. Um, so if we can think about that with our amygdala, it's scanning all day for emotion, and it's going to find it. And sometimes that emotion isn't realistic, um, but we've set up our minds to believe it has. So just like our barking dog in our head, sometimes it's unrealistic messages we're sending to ourselves. but sometimes it is potential danger. So we have to sift through that, right? So being more curious. um, If we, if our child breaks their arm, we're very curious about it we ask them where it hurts can they bend it can we touch it so we're being more curious we need to do the same things with emotions once the child can calm down and talk to us because remember when that barking dogs going they can't Mm -hmm. rationalize or think Um, so when they can calm down we need to start asking them questions um, helping them to explore being more curious with them questions such as you know what were you feeling right before it happened what were you feeling when you were going through it use the five senses, what did you see? what did you hear? what did you taste? what did you smell um, and get them talking about it? because as we all know, the more that we can talk about what's bothering us, sometimes just having someone listening and not feeling alone can lower that anxiety. Yeah, and I love that you brought up patterns because I want to I want to pivot to like
0: what can a parent do like actually do when they realize, There's a pattern of anxiety. Like anxiety is a very normal human emotion. Every single one of us, even if we don't have clinical anxiety, feels anxious from time to time. But when that anxiety becomes a pattern, what can parents do when they start to notice that?
2: Well, sharing it with their child, right? I've noticed that um, when we sit down at the dinner table, you get a big emotion. Is it something? Is it a smell? Is it a taste? Is it restlessness? Is it something inside? You know, they've just come out from playing and they can't settle themselves. So being more curious, asking more questions of the whys so we can understand what they're going through so that we can help them to identify triggers. Because the sooner they can identify triggers and understand what a trigger is, and I mean, we're talking five-year-olds, they can still understand what a trigger is, Mm -hmm. what an amygdala is, what a prefrontal cortex is. But the sooner that they can start to put that all together as a pattern themselves, it lowers the anxiety and normalizes it.
1: And I just want to jump on that. I, I appreciate that, um, that approach that Linda's talking about and that concept of curiosity that picks right up with what Nicole and I were talking about in an episode two, um, the, the importance of managing ourselves so that we can remain in that curious stance towards what it is that's going on and utilize our own prefrontal cortex in order, in order to sort of solve this and make sense of this, um, First of all, I just have to say uh, to emphasize that about 20 hours ago, uh, I was a mile or two away from here with our 16-year-old uh, in the orthopedic uh, urgent care center for yet another X-ray, right? Because he hurt his shoulder in uh, football practice. It's a shoulder that's been giving him difficulty anyway. We didn't know whether he had broken his collarbone or reaggravated a sprain from previously, and. We didn't just rush to conclusions. He, he maybe wanted to a little bit, right? Because he was in that kind of amygdala, fight or flight state at the time. Um, but we slowed down. Uh, our trainer did a fantastic job right off the bat of asking all the right questions to know what next step to take. And when we got to the urgent care, we went through a series of questions trying to hone in and identify before we take action and make assumptions and label this and prescribe some sort of response or treatment. We have to know exactly what it is going, that's going on, right? So I will say, thank God, uh, literally, it was not a broken collarbone. Uh, it was a re-aggravation of a, of a previous injury. And so we were able then to apply the correct treatment, which if it was a uh, broken collarbone would not have been the right response. But because it was uh, a reaggravation, he was able to get the right response and we were able to begin the rehab process. And so uh, I just love how Linda talks about... Um, Managing that, doing the same thing with anxiety. The best and first thing that we can do is to ask questions rather than provide solutions. Um, don't just tell our children to calm down or to stop it uh, or, or somehow indicate that there's something wrong with their response, but instead ask questions. And the other reason that that's important is not just to correctly assess and identify uh, and diagnose what it is that's happening – you notice with the conversation about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which of the two parts are we exercising when we ask a self-awareness question, right? It's, we're we're literally training them and encouraging encouraging them and modeling for them the importance of using self-awareness, using that uh, subjective experience to stand back first and say, "What is it that's going on?" Right. So the right question, much like we do in the therapy office, can happen. Uh, at home, at school, and anywhere else, where we stand back and say, What is it that's going on? And in doing so, don't expect your child to do well with this, especially our younger kiddos. We know this is this function is underdeveloped at this age. Um, but as we begin to do a better job um, of modeling and training kids in this behavior, we encourage them to use the part of their brain that will be more useful in terms of. Um, uh, Self awareness and and eventually being able to be mindful and grounded and manage the anxiety itself.
0: Yeah. So I'm as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm putting myself into eight year old Zach's shoes and <laughs> that's probably re- not hard. Is remembering. It? It's like... I mean, my feet are a little <laughs> bit bigger now, um, but remembering some of these big feelings that I felt specifically at school, coming home, and like. I can remember my mom kind of knowing something was up and being like, what's going on? And I remember eight-year-old me like, I don't want to have this conversation. I'm fine. I'm fine. So what do you do if you're a parent and you know something's up with your kids, specifically when they're at school and they're away from you? What do you do when they kind of stonewall you and say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like what kind of tools are in that toolbox as a parent when you know something's up, but your child's not opening up to you?
2: Yeah, so getting them active and in, uh, in participating with you in something else, right? Um, creativity helps lower anxiety. So doing maybe a craft project with them, painting, coloring, um, building, building with blocks, uh, designing, um, going for a walk. A lot of conversations happen going for a walk i can think about my own kids being in the car and more conversations happen in the car when i'm driving and asking questions that it seemed very benign mm-hmm. uh, my questions right and they were much more um, willing to share their day with me so finding what works with your own child is very important
1: and if i could add to that reciprocal play Uh, something as simple as playing catch. I remember hearing this in a training for the first time as an early clinician and thinking it was silly. There's no way that can actually be useful. Um, And as a parent, I've used it. Um, Don't tell my kids this, but I've, (laughs) I've used it and they may not even notice. There's something about reciprocal play as in tossing a ball back and forth that, stimulates and uh, awakens the correct part of the brain um, that can allow a child, just like all of those other things you're talking about, to access the part of their brain they need in that moment. Because remember, when the amygdala takes over, it has one job, and that is to get away from Mm -hmm. that which feels uncomfortable, which at that moment might be anxiety, which could be perfectly rational, perfectly reasonable, uh, or could be based on something they don't have awareness of. But you're, you're basically helping the child with all of those things, movement, play, creativity, get into the right uh, mind frame, literally, to be able to do the processing. I, I think of the picture you paint there of you, right? What probably would not have been helpful is someone towering over you nose to nose in your face saying, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. When the part of your brain that knows what's wrong is a ghost town at that moment. Right. And so I love that you started there, Linda, with, uh, with creativity movement play, um, just to be able to get our kids in that in that right frame of mind
2: well in that right frame of mind when they come home from school too they're exhausted and their amygdala is exhausted too so the last thing they want to do is be bombarded with questions so you really have to help them find ways to relax that amygdala and then start questioning them because we all feel that way when we get home from work we Mm -hmm. don't want to be bombarded either so why would they be any different yeah
1: yeah. Anticipating your child's needs, right? What When they're in that spot, what do they need? Do they need play? Do they need someone to be near them? Do they need someone to listen for a minute? Do they need to be left alone? Uh, do they need to exercise? Do they need to rest? Do they need some food? Um, yeah, we have four teenagers at home, so guess how well this goes in my house. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. When, and they're all,
2: they're all very unique, right? So absolutely. they all need something different absolutely. and that's, absolutely. and they're very different even from their own parents and their needs. And we have to identify that, that just because they're our offspring doesn't mean that they decompress the same way we do.
0: Yeah. And I want to, I want to ask a kind of specific question, especially related to this five to 10 year old age range. This is kind of the first time in our lives where we're away from home for an extended period of time during the day. What sorts of anxiety triggers have you noticed in your years of of counseling families through this? What sorts of things tend to make kids the most anxious, specifically in that school environment, like being away from home for the very first time? by themselves, without that safety blanket of mom and dad.
2: Well, it's the fear of the unknown, right? That they don't know what the school day is going to look like. They don't know who's going to be in their class, who they're going to sit by for lunch, who they're going to play with for recess. So that's a lot of anxiety for any individual, right? So it's very typical and normal. Um, So helping them to fill in some of those blanks, take them to school, let them see the schedule. Um, Schools are really good about having parent night or uh, open house right Mm -hmm. before school starts so that the kids can meet the teachers, um, that oftentimes they meet some classmates and they can identify who else is going to be in the class, kind of talking to them when you get home about, okay, who's in class that maybe you can eat lunch with or play outside for recess um, so that all those things on the first day of school, you know, most kids will tell me they're very excited, but they're also very nervous nervous for the first day of school
0: yeah so I want to ask so far we've focused a lot about like what parents can do with their kids when they see them at home when they're noticing these patterns how does a parent know when it's reached the point where I can't continue to triage this on my own like we need to go see a therapist whether it's me with my child my child on their own like how does a parent know when it's reached the point where they know we need to seek a licensed professional counselor for this
2: well, when it becomes chronic, and it gets in the way of their everyday life, and it becomes crippling, right? Um, with school phobia, that one's easy when they when you can't get them to go to school, you know, you need to seek out extra help. Um, sometimes parents wait a long time when they see restlessness, because they don't think of it as anxiety, or something that counselors can help with, Um, but any of those symptoms I mentioned earlier, if you start to see it become excessive, it's good to bring them to a counselor so the parent can learn along with the child. Most of the times with five to seven, maybe eight-year-olds, I have the parent in my office as well so that they're both learning the same techniques because it's important for them Mm -hmm. to share that same vocabulary that they've learned in my office and just helping both of them to understand the amygdala and the hijacking of the prefrontal cortex vortex and learning skills and tools that can help them manage it. Because besides the education of knowing that it is normal, they need to know the skills and tools to manage it. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to put myself back in my shoes of when I realized I needed therapy for the first time. And I put it off for so long because of that anxiety of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. So let's say there's a parent listening to us right now and they realize They need to go to therapy with their child, but they themselves are anxious about what that's gonna look like. What does it look like when a family sits down in your office for the very first time? Like, What is that environment like for them?
2: Yeah, you're right, Zach. That can be kind of add to the anxiety Mm -hmm. right there, right? Um, Well, when they come in, we try and make it very pleasant for them. And we talk about what's brought them to counseling. And we want to hear from the parent and the child. And then we want to hear what their goals are, because we want to make sure the parent and the child understand the goals. And sometimes the kids don't know the goals. So then we help them work through the goals so they understand the purpose of counseling. And we talk about how healthy people seek out counselors um, because they want to see a different way or they want a a neutral bystander to look at their situation and give them um, information that can help better their mental health. Yeah,
1: If I can make a quick plug here too, Zach, because I think this is one of the unknowns that can throw people off. And I I also have to steal the opportunity to give credit to my wife uh, and a couple of dear friends who helped with the design and look of our office. Um, I think when a lot of people hear therapy or clinical or counseling or office, they conjure up something that, um, might feel like, uh, more like the uh, a medical office mm-hmm. and no offense to our medical friends, but, um, for all that they do, that, that environment can usually be a little bit more anxiety provoking.
0: Yeah. Right? Those the environments are well. function over form. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, where I would say a lot of intentionality when goes into our spaces, um, so that when you arrive, especially for our kiddos when they arrive, but really for anyone, we hope, and we get a lot of compliments on this is one of our, it's one of our favorite ones to get when people say, i just feel so comfortable here. Um, We hope that it feels much more like having a chat with someone in a, in a living room than it does sitting under a hot light or or laying on a bench. Um, And so I think that's a really important thing to recognize. I'll pick on Linda again here, uh, because I I'm in her office and she teases me because when we talk in there together, I play with her fidgets, right? Um, so that office and all of our offices, um, as our, our many well-intentioned counseling offices, very, um, purposeful in their design and very, um, intentional in terms of, uh, the resources that are available. And so it's usually a fun place once that initial anxiety, uh, absolves just a little bit. Um, I, many of our kids, correct me if I'm wrong, look forward to being able to show up at Miss Linda's office, right? Because well, it's, it's And inviting. I'd say
2: they, by the time they get to my office, they're ready, too. Mm. They've suffered enough that they're ready to say, okay, what do I need to do? And then I think after that first appointment, they realize that the tools and activities are fun things to do, but then their parents are making sure they have those same fidgets for school and home, too, mm. and um, just helps them to feel at peace to know Again, we normalize it, um, and we help them learn that we have toolboxes at home with screwdrivers and pliers in them, and we use those tools for different things, um, and that we're building different tools in our emotional toolbox as well.
1: Yeah. And we have to remind ourselves, this, this is what we do, right? Right. Uh, we talked about that in preparation for this. We have to remember this is kind of what we do, where at home, when these behaviors might be showing up for the first time, and this is something we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, Especially with all of the uh, advancements in technology and the widespread use of screens and social media uh, and COVID and headlines in the 24-hour news cycle and everything else, I think we are seeing this epidemic uh, fill in and flow into younger and younger kids. And so many of them are exhibiting behaviors that haven't been seen in the home before, and people don't know what, how to make sense of them. That's why we're glad for this opportunity to be able to talk about this, because this is what we do all day long. I can't tell you in the last four years how many initial calls we've gotten from a parent, including people I might know, saying, I don't know what to do. My kid's doing something I never expected from them. Uh, I don't know what sense to make of it. It scares me. It it worries me. And we say, oh yeah, I had this phone call three times today. Bring Mm -hmm. them in, right? This is is what we do. This is what we work with. And so I think as Linda said, uh, just taking off that initial pressure of being able to say, this is okay. We've seen this before and we know what to do.
0: Yeah. And I want to kind of wrap this segment up with one more kind of talking point with what an amazing opportunity it is to go into therapy at this young of an age. Like when I look back, I'm 37 years old and it took me 30 years of my life to begin to process all the mental baggage that I had. Like we talked a little bit about this in our first episode about neuroplasticity. Like when a kid is young, there is such an amazing opportunity to train their brain, to think Mm -hmm. in the right way. But the flip side of that opportunity is if you don't take advantage of that, as soon as you realize the problem, you end up like me where you're 30 years old with 30 years of baggage. So like, Talk a little bit about what an amazing opportunity it is to start this therapy journey at this young age.
1: Can I quick reference, Zach, the stat that you started with from the CDC, right? Um, That within that group of 5 to 17-year-olds, 15% of kids have received treatment for mental health concerns. What it doesn't say is how many kids have mental health concerns that have not received treatment. The other thing that it doesn't talk about is what about... All of those kids who didn't receive treatment, they, those mental health concerns then don't just absolve, right? They don't They don't just go away, they don't disappear, they carry with them, as you said. Mm. And so gratefully, there is this opportunity for us to come back. but I you know prevention is is worth more than cure, right? We know mm. this. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to work with our kids at a young age, and especially like Linda and others in our office do working with parents who can be a resource for the, th- their kids when they're properly educated and prepared to intervene.
2: Yeah, Zach, you're so on. I wish I could have learned this when I was five years of age too, right? Because we all struggled through and didn't really understand it. Um, But yes, I mean, when you have a five, six-year-old learning about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex (laughs) and understanding where all these emotions are coming from and Mm -hmm. how to handle them, they've only had five years of forming bad habits, so it's much quicker to turn it around versus someone who's much older and has all these um, ingrained uh, bad habits of how to deal with big emotions.
0: So I want to tease kind of the second part of our conversation in this. Caleb, you've been here listening, observing. Yes. And um, as someone who deals with kind of this next age group that we're going to talk about in our next episode, what is something you wish you could tell the, the parents of the kids that come see you that they could have done before it gets to the point that they have to come see you as teenagers? Like of all we've talked about, like what is the most important thing looking back that you wish these kids could have done before it gets to the point that they need to see you?
3: Yeah, I think one of the main things is, and we've talked about a little bit already, is just having these open and honest conversations as a family. These issues are happening within the dynamics of an entire family system. And so to, to be able to have an open conversation about feelings, about thoughts, about these bigger emotions can be incredibly helpful for kids to understand that, like, this is okay that I have this this big emotion. I can talk about this. I can work through this. I can process this. So I think before even taking that step to to come to therapy, I wish even in my own life, it was modeled to where emotions are okay. I think a lot of families and a lot of family systems, emotions might not be something that's talked about a lot. That's okay. It might work for some families, but in other points, if you're having these issues of these either emotional outbursts or these shutdowns, Emotions should be talked about, and in, in, in that situation, and so just having that conversation prior to coming to therapy, asking those open ended questions that get the, gets the conversations going, is something that parents can definitely do.
0: Yeah, so I want to say thank you to to Kevin and Linda and Caleb for for joining us as we've just barely scratched the surface of this really important conversation of anxiety and kids. In our next episode, that'll be out in two weeks. We'll continue this conversation, kind of aging up the conversation. Uh, but before I let you all go, since we've got three licensed professional counselors sitting here in this room, I want to do some Q&A. Um, you can submit any questions you'd like us to discuss on our website. You can head to wcsg.org, search for podcasts, click on Through Rough Waters. There's a form right there. You can ask us anything anonymously. We promise we will not collect a piece of data about you besides the question that you ask. Uh, if you'd rather submit your question through email, you can do that as well through roughwaters at wcsg.org. So I'm going to ask this question and to each one of you here in the room, um, give a little one, two, three minute answer to uh, this question here. Lately, my six year old has been having tantrums at home where he becomes so angry that he behaves out of character for him, throwing things and saying things that honestly are a bit frightening. Afterward, when I try to process this with him, he says he doesn't remember any of those things, but feels badly about it. What is happening with him? Is he not telling the truth? Is he blacking out? What's going on?
2: Zach, that's a very normal occurrence, especially at that age, because the prefrontal cortex isn't very developed at all, right? They say um, it's not completely developed till we're 26 and even older. So five-year-olds, you can understand that it's not developed at all. So we talked about the amygdala earlier and how it becomes a barking dog and it hijacks the prefrontal cortex and we can no longer think or learn or rationally think. So it doesn't surprise me that they forgot the big emotion. Um, We kind of have blackouts, and that's part of the whole brain in the prefrontal cortex that blacks out that pain because it's such a big emotion. So just, again, educating them on the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and what big emotions are and asking them those curiosity questions. Um, If it starts to become a pattern and you start to become a pattern of asking those questions, they'll get a little bit more in tune to thinking about what they're going through. Again, those five senses and those questions with what are they feeling? What are they hearing? What are they seeing? What are they smelling? Yeah. Kevin, Caleb, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Yeah. I would also uh, add to that. Like what, what ways after the tantrum are you trying to help the child cope or manage that? Like, is it immediately going to sitting in front of an iPad or a screen for an hour to get them to calm down could be helpful but are there other maybe potentially more healthy ways to cope with that tantrum afterwards and so implementing those things first of all identifying what that emotion is some of the underlying issues of what's what it's stemming from and then implementing some of those coping skills afterwards that you know to be helpful taking a walk breathing exercises what are some of those things so that the next time the emotion comes up, this is something that we can begin to try to do instead of having a blow up. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't think I could improve on either of those answers. Uh, I'll just use the opportunity to remind all of us listening, um, about the importance of ruling things out, right? We are discussing today, uh, anxiety, anxiety is the topic. So we're kind of looking at these questions through the lens of anxiety, but one of the, Uh, important reasons that we start with that posture of curiosity is to make sure that we're ruling out other things. So um, likely as I read this question and and hear this uh, scenario, I I would think it's a pretty safe bet, but uh, it's always important to make sure that we're considering all options and ruling out other things. Uh, Some of the other behaviors, even the the list that Linda started with are great examples of um, behaviors that we might see in anxiety, but they might also be better attributed to something else. And this is where it's important to be curious and also where it's important to consult a professional and someone who can be very objective about the situation. Um, you know, the, the thing for us as therapists, when we're talking about your child is their behavior doesn't make us very anxious, right? <laughs> uh, it's harder to do at home when I'm working with my own children. So I act more like a parent than a therapist. Um, maybe that's a good thing. But um, yeah, I, I think seeking that help to make sure that we are looking at this the most accurate way possible is just another important consideration throughout all of this.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Episode three of Through Rough Waters. Uh, Next episode, we'll be continuing this conversation about anxiety in uh, kids and students. We'll move our focus towards uh, older kids. We hope you join us in two weeks for that. I want to say a huge thank you to West Michigan Wellness Group for supporting this podcast with all of their uh, amazing expertise. Uh, Kevin, if someone's listening today and they realize it's time for me to go see someone, it's time for me to go to talk to someone, how do they do that? How do they get in touch with you guys at West Michigan Wellness Group?
1: We try to make that as easy as possible, including by saying, just reach out. We'll, we'll take the conversation from there. We'll, we'll try to help you uh, get lined up with someone who can be of assistance. Uh, and if not, we'll offer some suggestions where you might be better uh, better helped elsewhere. Um, the easiest way to do that probably is to find us online. You can Google West Michigan Wellness Group or go straight to westmichiganwellnessgroup.com or give us a call at 616-600-1187.
0: Perfect. And all that information is down in the show notes as well. And you can get it at WCSG.org. As we wrap up this episode, Kevin, would you uh, end us in prayer? I would be
1: happy to. Lord, we come before you. And again, we are just so thankful for this platform and for this format, for this opportunity to share the gifts and the expertise and the experience that we have. And we hope that it will be a blessing to anyone listening here today and be my purposeful, uh, specific and personal prayer that uh, there was someone listening who's who's blessed by this and may use this as an opportunity to, to seek help. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are yourself personally available to us, um, that we know that we are when we are in rough waters, you're with us, that we know that when we are anxious about anything, we can come to you, we can talk to you, we can tell you what we need, we can thank you for what you've done, and that we can then experience your peace and that that peace often does exceed our own understanding. So we thank you for that peace, and uh, we ask that um, our own hearts and minds would be protected and guarded, and uh, that we would then be equipped to continue going out into the world and living for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen.